Greetings. This is Antoinette Davis coming to you live from my dining room. Last week, I started a gratitude jar, and each day I am writing down and adding pieces of paper to that jar with things I am missing about regular pre-COVID-19 life. These are things I was taking for granted, but now that I can't do them or have them, I appreciate them so much more. Like the ability to meet with you each week to study God's Word. So today, not seeing you during teaching time, I'm missing your smiles, your beautiful faces. And that will go on a piece of paper and into my jar. It's just not the same not being in person with you. Well, I confess that I am struggling a bit to believe that we've only been under our stay-home restrictions for two weeks. Today, as I'm taping, this is only day 15. What? Does it seem like to anyone else like it's been 50, not 15 days? How's it going, gals? I've had six adults and two infants here since the start. It's been messy at my house as we've tried to adapt and figure out these new norms. Messy, and that is such a picture I see when I think about the church in Corinth. Paul gets into their business, and it is personal, and it is messy. It's like our lives. People are messy. Relationships are messy. Circumstances are messy. And community is just messy. But it's in the midst of that messiness that God meets us, desiring us to become more Christ-like and to learn to rely more and more on him and less and less on ourselves. He wants us to have Christ in us and allow Christ to live through us. And that's been our theme for the year, Christ in and through us. Throughout this study of 2 Corinthians, we have learned how the Lord Jesus Christ will transform our lives as his children by teaching us to live dependently on him in strength and in our weakness. As 2 Corinthians 5, 7 taught us, we need to learn to walk by faith, not by sight. Boy, is this a time when we're not walking by sight. And so thank goodness we have our faith to guide us. Each of us has to learn how to do this as we make choices and act according to the word of God, depend on Jesus Christ for the power to do so, and trust him with the results. He is all we need. And in this final chapter of 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul pleads with the Corinthians to do the right things and to do them now. And that's the truth that I want to highlight in today's teaching. God wants us to do the right things and do them now. And he's in it with us. He's with us in our weakness. He's with us in our strength. He is all the power we need to live the way he calls us to live. So today, as Paul wraps up his letter, we're going to see Paul do three specific things. In verses one through four, Paul will make a heartfelt plea. Then Paul will issue a challenge in verses 5 through 10. And third, Paul will offer wisdom for life and a benediction in verses 11 through 14. So open your Bibles with me and let's dive into 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And I know life is crazy right now for so many of you. And um, You've got kids who are doing their online learning. You are out taking care of kiddos who are um, a little stir crazy in the house. So I'm going to be reading a lot of the scripture today. So if you don't have the luxury of sitting down with your Bible, that's great. Just keep on with us and I'll read it. Um, so we all are at the same place. Let's start with the first point, a heartfelt plea, verses 1 through 4. And Paul says, this is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. 
I warned those of you who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him. But in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Well, Paul was returning and he left no doubt that he would return to Corinth, bolstered by his full authority as an apostle to set things right. Paul comes out swinging here a little. And you might be wondering, like I did, if his love and patience with the Corinthians has finally run out. Remember, he has ministered to them, pleaded with them performed miracles among them, shared the gospel to them, poured his heart out in letters to them, sent his friends to minister and encourage them, and visited them twice. And ready or not, Paul is returning for his third visit, and it is going to be a day of reckoning. Paul even takes the extra step here of checking himself before judging them. You see, in ancient Jewish culture, when someone was accused of committing a crime, the accusation had to be substantiated by two or more witnesses. The Old Testament law described in Deuteronomy 19.15 required that final judgment in dispute be settled on the testimony of two or three witnesses. This helped to validate the facts and protect anyone from being falsely accused and punished. In verse 1, when Paul says, this is the third time I am coming to you, every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Paul is telling the Corinthians that his accusations against them have been substantiated and that judgment was imminent. Paul tells the Corinthians in verse 2 that if they do not heed the warnings he has given them in his first and second letters, that he would not spare anyone. Remember what we studied last week in chapter 12, verse 21? Let me read that. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. Well, Paul is once again exhorting the Corinthian church to do a little cleaning up of their house before he arrives, specifically to get busy and confront the unrepented sin going on to apply church discipline. While the Corinthians had tolerated open sin among their church body, Paul was clear he would not. This was not just about those sinning. It was also a plea to those tolerating the sin to get busy and be bold to address it. Either by the Corinthians or by Paul, it would be dealt with. And remember that the Corinthians had criticized Paul for seeming strong in his letters, but weak in person. We studied that back in chapter 10, verse 10. His writing was strong, but his personal appearance, not so much to the Corinthians. But Paul was warning them that they might be in for a shock when he returned. In verses 3 through 4, Paul tells the Corinthians that just as Jesus was seen as weak and bloodied at the time of his crucifixion, and so seemed weak to some people as he died on the cross, but now lives by the power of God, so would Paul, who had appeared weak to some of the Corinthians in his demeanor and his appearance, would soon arrive in the full power of God. Despite Paul's weaknesses, God would demonstrate his power through Paul upon his return to Corinth. Well, I don't know about you, but there's been some house cleaning, which is great, going on around my home. 
Two beloved junk drawers are now organized. My pantry has been cleaned out and my closet is on my to-do list for this week. But what Paul is encouraging me to do here is to dive deep into my life and see where there might be some sin in that closet, hiding in the dark where I just haven't dealt with it. And it may not be my sin, but what if I find that I haven't been loving and forthright in helping a sister of Christ confront her own sin? Where are you hiding or tolerating unrepented sin in your own life or in the lives of other believers who are in your circle, your friends, your family, your community? Well, feel free to pause here and take a moment to reflect on that. Is there unrepented sin in your life? Where have you ignored sin or swept it under the rug? Where have you not been forthright in speaking truth and love to a friend or a loved one who is not repented? God is inviting us to open our eyes and our hearts to sin, to confess it, to turn away from it, and to find shelter in his arms. God is ever-present. His power is ever-available, even in the midst of all of our sin struggles and doubts. And while we are doing a little house cleaning, it's also time, according to Paul, to do a self-examination, which takes us to our second point. Examine yourself, verses 5 to 10. And let me read Paul's words. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met this test, but that you may... Do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not tearing down. Well, whenever I read verse 5, which reads, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith, it kind of hits me a little like a gut punch, that little nagging of doubt. Have I passed the test? Am I really saved? Yikes. Even though I know that my salvation is secure, that verse just causes me some unease. So let's unpack it. Yes, Paul probably believed that some in the Corinthian church, like maybe those false teachers, lacked true faith in Christ. So for them, a test would show that they were not true believers. But just as importantly, Paul meant this verse to be affirming to encourage Christian believers, those who had a true faith, to take a hard look at themselves with the expectation that they would discover that Jesus truly was in their lives and working in their midst. Note that Paul uses the word yourselves three times in verse 5. That repetition emphasizes that Paul wanted each person in the Corinthian church to start with herself. Again, Paul was not asking them to affirm their conversion and salvation, but also their sanctification. Paul is asking the Corinthians to be sure that Christ is working in them and through them in their daily walk with him. Well, why would Paul do that? What led Paul to instruct them to test themselves? None of us like tests. Paul wants the Corinthians to make sure that they are in the process of sanctification. And if yes, that they would demonstrate their faith by responding positively to his exhortations. It's like Paul is saying, hey, Corinthians, 
Test yourself. And if you truly are believers, prove it by obeying Christ and by doing what I'm asking you. Remember that some within the church had questioned Paul's ministry and authority. Here, Paul clearly turns the tables on them and suggests that they need to examine themselves first. The reality is that we're not always really good judges of ourselves. We are so quick to judge others, but not to realize that we ourselves could be in trouble. If we're following Jesus, then that faith in him should translate into sanctification and obedience. If our lives don't line up with what we profess to believe, then we need to think about what this could mean. I remember once when my girls were in middle school, a few of the parents were unhappy with some issues surrounding our sports program. There was a lot of griping and complaining and gossiping on the bleachers during those games. And if you've had children in sports, you get the picture. And I was always sitting right smack in the middle of it with my friends. Now, I wasn't jumping into the conversations, so I kind of had this judgy attitude going, thinking that their behavior was not so good, but that mine was okay. At the same time, I also just happened to be memorizing Psalm 1. You know the one that says, Blessed is the woman who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. Ugh. I had seen the sin in others, so but totally missed my own sin. Well, God's word, word pierced me like a sword, and I finally accepted what God was telling me and calling me to do. And it was not sitting and listening to the dissing and the gossip. God convicted me to speak truth, pull out of those situations, and find somewhere else on those bleachers. Even though it ultimately led to my daughter and I being left out of some social situations, It was sanctifying, hard, but sanctifying. That is why we need to examine ourselves. We need to take an honest look at our lives to see where and how we are growing in our relationship to Jesus. If we aren't growing and going toward Jesus, we are standing still or growing away from Jesus. And Paul continues in verse 7, he says, But we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, that we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not tearing down. Let's put this together. Paul is telling us, test yourself to know where you stand spiritually. Examine yourself to see if you are, as Paul says, in the faith. This examination is not meant to produce fear or doubt, but should encourage and assure you as a believer. Paul hoped that by examining their faith, the Corinthians would self-identify anyone who was not truly a believer and that those who were believers would be affirmed and that they would realize, as he says in verse 6, that Paul and his fellow apostles do not fail the test. And he goes on to encourage the Corinthians to do what is right, even if they think he has failed. I love that Paul wants the best for the Corinthians, even if he doesn't look good or get credit for it. It was for their sake, not Paul's, that he hoped they would pass the test. Like any good parent or teacher, Paul is committed to truth, as he says in verse 8. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. 
This is why Paul would never lower his expectations of the Corinthians. He wouldn't overlook their accountability or let them just walk away or get away with unrepentant sin in their body of believers. He just kept going after it. Their restoration with one another, with Paul, and to a life of obedience and godliness was Paul's aim. So, how would your self-examination look today? Let's start with on a scale of 1 to 10. How sure are you that when you die, you will go to heaven? If the answer is not a 10, here are some questions to ask yourself. Do you understand and believe that you have sinned and are worthy of the judgment of God? Do you understand and believe that Jesus took your punishment upon himself, dying on the cross in your place? Do you understand and believe that his death was the sufficient sacrifice to pay for your sins? If your answers to these three questions are yes, then simply place your trust in Jesus as your Savior. Receive him by faith, fully trusting in him alone. To be 100% sure that you are saved and in the family of faith, that's what you need to do. But if you believe the above, God's word is clear that there is nothing you can do to lose your salvation. You have received God's gift of grace. His spirit has indwelled you, and he promises to never leave you. 1 John 5, 13 to 14 assures us of this truth. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So if you are a believer, be assured of your salvation. And the self-examination questions for you are, how am I doing walking in my faith? Am I growing spiritually? Are my choices, actions, decisions, reactions different, more Christ-like today than in the past? Am I and are others actively seeing Christ live in me and through me? And that's our application question for this section of scripture. How are you actively seeing Christ live in you and through you? Where are you seeing growth and victory in him? Where are you struggling to follow him? Take a moment to pause here if you'd like to reflect on that and answer those questions. Your self-examination. Well, ready or not, Paul was returning to Corinth and will continue in the scripture. The third point is Paul offered wisdom for life and a benediction, verses 11 to 14. And let me read those. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. When my daughters were graduating from high school, I wrote each of them a letter. It was my stab at wisdom for life, the nuggets of wisdom that I had hoped and prayed they had learned while living at home and that I knew would make them life better, sweeter, and safer. It was filled with my hopes and dreams for my daughters. Well, Paul has come to that point of his letter. Sadly, he is about to say goodbye to the Corinthians, and so are we. I imagine Paul being a little introspective here as he tells the Corinthians his greatest hopes for them and his final instructions. Let's read verses 11 through 12. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 
Think about Paul's words of wisdom. These are God's will for his people. Rejoice. Be in harmony. Unity in the truth. Live together in peace. Well, first, Paul instructed the Corinthians to rejoice, probably in the opportunity to judge themselves before God would judge them, but also to rejoice in their salvation. Second, they were to restore or mend their ways so that they would be made complete, so that they would mature in their faith. Next, Paul longed to comfort them for them, which happens when we are living rightly with others and with God. Fourth, they were to be like-minded. And when we're like-minded toward Christ, we are like-minded toward one another. And finally, Paul called them to live in peace with one another. This was Paul's goal for all churches, to bear with one another in good times and conflict. Note that Paul ties his words of wisdom for faithful life to the powerful promise in verse 11 that the God of love and peace will be with you. It's not in our power that we do these things, but in God's power. And it is through the daily practice of those words of wisdom that we see the promise come to fruition that God's love and peace is with us. Well, then Paul moves to his closing words, often referred to as the Trinitarian benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. Paul wanted the Corinthians to be completely blessed by everything God is. In essence, Paul wanted them to be enjoying life fully as true Christians, those who live in light of the grace, love, and fellowship we enjoy through an eternal relationship with the one true God, through his Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In spite of everything, Paul is ready to return to the church in Corinth to rejoice with them in all that God has and will do. And God wants that for us, to rejoice in all that God has and will do, to rejoice that Christ is living in us and through us. And so that is our application question for this section of Scripture. How are you rejoicing today? In your shelter, in your isolation, in the craziness of whatever your house looks like today? How are you rejoicing that Christ is living in you and through you? What would the rest of today look like if you had a heart of rejoicing? Well, feel free to pause and take a moment to reflect on that. But we're going to wrap up. A lot has happened since we began studying 2 Corinthians. Think back with me to September and everything that has happened in your life since then. The busyness of what life was like, well, before March 23rd anyway, your normal life. The daily mundane activities, joyous occasions where we got to celebrate with others like birthdays and anniversaries and family weddings and Christmas celebrations, but also trying times like illnesses and diagnoses and job loss. Then the chaos, the isolation, the fear, the messiness brought on by COVID-19. Yet it is in the midst of all that where the truths of Second Corinthians come alive in our lives. Just think about what we've learned this year, the truths we have studied and applied from 2 Corinthians, truths like Christ's grace is sufficient in my trials. God is my comfort. I am to lean on his power to carry me through when I am at my weakest, to capture my thoughts and not believe the lies of the enemy, replacing those doubts and anxious thoughts with God's truth, to be generous even when it's hard. 
to love people even when they seem unlovable or when you've had to be cooped up with them for what seems like endless days and it's only been two of what could be many weeks. Yikes. The truth of Second Corinthians has so prepared us for the struggles of today. It is not a surprise to God that we are where we are and what a sweet gift that he has had us in Second Corinthians to prepare us. Reality check here. Life has been extra hard, extra challenging these last few weeks. And Second Corinthians has prepared us to remember the love of God no matter what happens to us. Paul experienced so many trials in life and ministry, and we have seen that God was with him every step of the way. And God is with us every step of the way in the depths of our struggles. He knows our pain, our anxiety, our frustration, our loneliness, our chaos. But he loves us with such a depth that he gave his son to redeem us from sin, from death and from that despair. And he sent his spirit to comfort you and draw you closer to him. If you can remember the light of God's love in your weakest, darkest moments, the truths of Second Corinthians will have done its work in your life. Well, take a deep breath with me. Close your eyes if you can and imagine a young child who you love dearly crawling into your arms. Maybe it's your daughter, your grandchild. Some of you may be holding one now. She's totally relaxed in your arms limp in your arms. She's totally at peace there, loved and secure in the shelter and warmth of your embrace. The more relaxed she becomes, the stronger your arms work to hold her tight, to support her. Now, replace yourself in that image of the child. It is you in your Heavenly Father's arms. The weaker you become, the more you will feel his strength, his support, his peace. I don't know what God is calling you to do with the truths of 2 Corinthians today, but I know he is calling each of us to do something with them. Maybe it's to rest in him and allow him to be strong. Maybe it is with Christ in you and through you to love your family well. Maybe it's time to bring more peace into your home. Maybe it's time to reach out to someone and restore a broken relationship. Maybe it's time to just rejoice in the everyday in where he has you. Maybe it's a time to be generous and serve others in need. Whatever it is, you may not have realized it, but God has been preparing you all year as you have studied Second Corinthians for a time such as this. And he is all we need. We have Christ in us to be used by us, so he shines through us. Let's end today with Paul's final words. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you for the study of Second Corinthians. Knowing way back when this study was written, the lessons that we would need for today. Help us walk by faith when the future is so unknown. Help us to lean on your strength when we are weary and tired and want to go back to normalcy. Help us to rejoice in the gifts you've given us when we feel totally drained. Thank you, Father, for the faithfulness of the women who have studied 2 Corinthians this year, their love for you, the way they've encouraged, challenged, and prodded each other. 
Thank you most that it is Easter week, a week of hope and the reminder that Jesus reigns. We love you, Father. Amen. Ladies, if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is the perfect week for you to know him, for you to acknowledge that you are a sinner who needs a Savior, that Jesus died on the cross and took your sins, your punishment with him, that he died, that he rose again three days later, and that he offers you the gift of salvation. And all you have to do is accept that gift. This is our final week of Bible study, our final lesson. But let me just tell you that next week um, you will receive an email um, with some special things in it. Our recording for next week will be a preview of the summer study, a preview and announcement of what we're studying in the fall, instructions on how to register for those, and also some special guests to warm your day. Ladies, we love you, we are praying for you, and we hope you have an amazing Easter. Blessings to you and your family. Have a great week of worship.